From McKinsey's Banking and Securities Practice, I'm Matt Cook, and this is Talking Banking Matters, short audio content for leaders in banking, securities, and beyond. In this episode, we continue our occasional series on leaders in payments and fintech and talk with the founder and now former CEO of Starling Bank, Anne Bowden. We spoke with Anne earlier in the year, and recently she announced she would hand over to her successor, Starling COO John Mountain. Anne remains a non-executive director on Starling's board, in addition to her work as chair of the UK task force on women-led high-growth enterprises. Starling has generated headlines since its strong entry in 2014. The UK-based startup rapidly gaining market share with 2.4% of all UK retail bank accounts and 9.4% of its small and mid-sized enterprise banking customers. For comparison, the big established banks that Starling competes with have at most 10 to 25% of retail banking market share in the UK. Starling's founder, Anne Bowden, is a big reason for the buzz the startup generates. She's a technology enthusiast with a gregarious personality who came up through the ranks of established banks, including ABM AMRO and AIB. Anne's experience of the financial crisis of 2008 spurred her interest in fintechs, including a brief stint as an advisor at Go Cardless, and she became fascinated with the future of banking technology. What resulted was not just a new bank, but also a second business, engined by Starling, a cloud-native banking service-as-a-service company. In addition to going up against some of the oldest banks in the world, Starling also seeks to partner with those institutions by selling them the technology on which Starling is built. Here's Anne explaining her journey from traditional banks to founding a neobank. I'd spent a whole career in banking technology, and I was uh, in Avian Amro Bank as head of transaction banking when RBS bought Avian Amro, and I'd went into RBS and and so I was in the the transaction banking field, but then I stepped away from that and spent a, a year sort of going around the world talking to organisations post financial crisis, and had my first experience of fintech, and. And I went around the world talking to lots of banks around the world and tried to find out what they were all doing. And everybody was giving me the same story. We're going to refurbish the branches. We're going to move on to mobile. But nobody was really, I, I came to the conclusion that none of those strategies are going to really work because they weren't fundamentally looking at those processes, looking at the technology and reinventing. So in January 2014, I quit to start a new bank based on everything I'd learned. So I sort of seen the, the crisis and I played around in the fintech world. And I think that's one of the start of this journey of me trying to understand what success looks like in banking, what success looks like in these organizations. Now, one of the issues is that I think lots of big banks have lost confidence in change, have lost confidence in doing projects. Big organizations have forgotten about that life has moved on. You know, I was on this journey. I was disillusioned by, you know, the financial crisis and what it had caused. I went, started working with small fintechs and realized that the world had moved on. So go card list, I was, I was there when there were only four of us. Yeah. You know, and and I realized that they tell me, oh, we are we're going to write the risk report this evening. And I'd say, no, no, that's a month's work or sit. No, no, it will do it tonight. Technology has moved on. 
things are much more doable now. You know, one of the big challenges I had when I started this was old knowledge. I was absolutely 100% certain I knew how to run projects and knew how technology should run. And I was wrong. The best of both worlds. I've got the, I've had the history of the old world. Yeah. But, the, but the, the essential thing is I can convince people that only know the old world that the new world is possible. Starting a wholly new bank, as Starling did, is an unusual approach. On the face of it, this would seem to be a tough approach, given the competition. Anne described why she chose this, the monetized model, and how Starling became a sustainable business in a crowded field. We did it the hard way. And, and, and hmm. you know, the press was constantly writing about the way we were doing it as being counterintuitive. So we went and got a proper banking license. So we were late to market because other organizations, other startups were you know, running prepaid cards and all that sort of stuff. Extremely difficult. I understood the economics of retail banking. And I came to the conclusion you had to have new technology and a new way of engaging to make it all happen. But the first time I used the words, I'm starting a bank, I shocked myself because, you know, it doesn't seem possible. You know, you can't actually start a bank. But I started knocking on doors of law firms and various organizations looking for help. But the pitch was a bit too audacious. You know, this is what I'd actually say. I'd go into the firm and they'd say, uh, this is Anne Bowden. I spent my whole life in technology and banks and in operations. And I'm a transaction banking specialist. But I think if I started a new bank based on new technology built from scratch, I can be a biggest Barclays one day. You've only got to give me the money and I'll do it. And guess what? Nobody believed me. People thought building technology is impossible. You know, it is impossible to build from scratch. It's too big a problem. The challenge was this. So you're going to build a bank, are you? And yeah, fine. So what is using as your core banking? No, no, we're going to build that. Okay. How are you going to use card processing? Oh, you're going to build that as well. What about the apps? No, we're going to build that. We're going to build the whole thing. And, and how are you going to get customers? Customers never switch. No, no, they'll switch because the product will be so, so good. And how are you going to make money then? Well, you know, we're going to make money because the product will be so good, we won't have to pay any interest for customers to have money in the accounts. Right, okay. And how quickly are you going to do this then? Well, we're going to do it in five years' time. I had to get the regulator and get a license. Yeah, I'm going to have a full banking license. And by the way, have you got any money for this? No, I don't have any money. But there's enough people who believe that this is possible, that they'll join the journey. So I spent two years with this really, really impressive deck talking about my ideas and how it, it would work. And it was two years in that somebody saw an article about people starting new banks based on new technology, new digital, new ways of doing things, and how this could transform an industry. And an investor contacted me and spent three or four days talking to me. And I was trying to raise three million, but he, in the end, he invested 48 million. So people helped me. People who believed it was possible helped yeah. me on the way. <laughs> 
And all those things we promised, we've delivered. And I had 48 million to build my dream bank. But around me, people were saying, okay, this is, this is a crazy idea, okay? It is impossible to build banks. It's impossible to build technology. In addition to being undeterred by the enormity of the task before her, Anne was also dauntless when it came to naming the new bank. We researched it and Starling was something which, you know, Starling birds are really, really quite noisy, quite confident. And they, they, they work very elegantly together as a team and they invade the, 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 the other birds' territory and they win. Okay, so 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 that was quite resonant for us. But but basically, the real reason was that we did a lot of research about trust. Hmm. And really strange, we didn't want to be three letters. Uh, we wanted to have a name that felt something. And Starling seemed to be, it sort of resonates and people people understand it. Along with its banking business, Starling also provides the core banking technology it runs on to others, meaning that sometimes its competitors are also its customers. Engine by Starling, as the company's called, is no mere side business. Rather, it addresses a key pain point for most established banks, which have many layers of legacy technology that slow their attempts to compete with fintech disruptors. Anne talked about why she's keen to serve this core technology transformation market too. I'm a technologist. I've been in banking and technology and banking for many, many years. And my vision was starting to build a great new tech stack and to build a bank on that tech stack as a case study. So um, we have a, um, the vision is that we will offer banking technology services on a SaaS basis to, some, to banks all around the world. We've always had a, a, the prospect of if you build the technology from scratch and you can build it in an API-enabled API way, you can allow it to be pulled apart and plugged together again and linked into other providers in our marketplace. So, so that was quite important to our strategy. We love building technology. That's what we do. You know, when I started Starling, I made a list of 17 things that the existing technology was holding us back. And, you know, as far as having the right sort of data structures, having it systems that are highly permissioned, having designed a, a way of doing things where we could do lots of different things on this platform is very important. And one of those is our marketplace. One of those is use of data to prompt decision in. But now we've built it all. You know, we, want, we, we, we don't intend to sell it to banks in the UK because this is our home market. But we, we, we want to provide that software as a service rather than banking as a service. Banking as a service, I define as having a banking license component in it but provide the software. And whether that's to the biggest banks in the world or the second tier, that's what we're currently focusing on. It's not just the technology. We wondered how Engine by Starling's customers think about using the technology. Are they migrating their customer base onto it right away? Or are they moving more cautiously by starting a separate business to see how it works before moving more of their businesses onto the platform? Here's Anne again. Flanker Brands is very popular. Um, you know, we need a we need a new bank, a new digital bank to see if it works. And if it works, we'll migrate our platform onto it. The second new thing is that people decide to launch a new product on the new platform. People are thinking, OK, well, 
what if I start a new business bank or, or I'm a retail bank at the moment. I want to go into business banking. You know, this is a this is a market that's underserved. I'll do you starting for that. And then some are basically taking only a part of their process and saying that bit is broken. The world has moved on or things like, you know, KYC and AML or whatever. But basically, it's all about explaining and being confident about doing things and and showing how it can be done. And we will get people up and running in nine months. So it's the it's this pacing, right? It's it's getting used to and giving confidence that things can move at a space. Starling's product design and target segment choice help the new company acquire a customer base quickly and build trust with a core group of customers. This is typically a tricky needle to thread for new banks and fintechs, which often end up offering some kind of incentive to attract customers. Here Anne talks about how Starling's approach let them avoid this. From day one, people knew that they were dealing with a real bank and our KYC and AML was bank standard. So it's by a combination of circumstances. And we picked up the people who are families, people who have a bit older, a bit more money. The question is, those customers tend to be easier to serve. We have less fraud. We have less fuel chargebacks, tend to be more profitable. And there's a higher trust value. So we're highly trusted, uh, which means that we can acquire customers quite cheaply. Other organizations have actually paid people five pounds an account. We've never, ever given any money for an account because that devalues it. So what we have is fewer customers, high value. We, We started off with retail and then we build business bank accounts. And we have a very, very loyal business banking business of half a million accounts. And we have lots and lots of features. So that's what happens on the liability side. On the asset side, um, we have the usual overdrafts and lending. But we also buy mortgage books. We also own a buy-to-let lender. When we asked Anne to talk about how she keeps innovation going and maintains confidence to do things like begin making loans, she talked about Starling's culture, how the company views talent, and why she kept her desk near the door. Yeah, we we, we have quite a, the, the culture of Starling is, is quite expert. The culture you can actually quite, you can touch. We're all, we, we all love learning. We all love reading about things and absorbing things. We are very, very capable of doing regulatory applications or building models or doing analytics. Our staff are highly qualified and highly paid. Lots of new startups tend to hire, you know, inexperienced people and and cheaper people. And we pay well. We don't pay bonuses in the organization. Everybody gets stock. I think myself and the senior team are very, very visible and are very involved in all the detail. We all tend to hover and dive, which is we all tend to let people get on with their jobs and have a lot of responsibility for execution. And then when there's an issue, we all dive into the problem and get into the real detail. You know, we don't have regular one-on-ones with anybody. We actually then all get onto a document and you may have all of us working on a document together or into the detail. We all love numbers. We all love 
the intricacies of doing the job. And we're all very hands on. Um, we believe that decisions should be made at the right level in the organization um, where people actually have knowledge. Are we very open and transparent and we don't mind mistakes? We correct them very quickly. And it's a really odd thing to say, but everybody is starting is quite pleased with themselves, right? We're all quite happy about the fact that we've managed to do that again and whatever. And, and it's quite fulfilling. Given the core technology challenges faced by long-established banks and the increasingly rapid pace of change in financial services generally, we asked Anne to talk a bit about how she sees the next five to 10 years unfolding in banking and payments. Well, let's put it in the context of fintech, first of all. I think the first um, iteration of fintech was taking certain parts of the value chain, you know, international payments, whatever, and doing it better than the banks at lower price. That can be responded to by the big banks just by dropping their price, to be honest. And then you've got fintechs addressing the underserved at high cost. And then you've got the, the, the starling, which is going head to head with the big banks for their principal customers with a different cost base. And that dramatic difference in cost base allows you to take market share and improve service. I think the conversations in big boards have changed from being, you know, we're worried about these fintechs taking a bit of our business to they're actually completing head to head for mainstream business. And how do you respond to that? Uh, the interesting thing is, I think that there's going to be there's going to be a shortage of newcomers in the next couple of years because, you know, the VCs, because of the stock price crashes in the tech sector, there's, go, there's not going to be many coming through. And the big banks are going to be making lots of money from higher interest rates. So the question is, there's a gap. And how are those big banks going to use that gap? Are they going to use it just to sit on, the, on their laurels? Or are they going to use it in order to take the resources available to them to do the transformation because the new banks are not just coming after the business they don't want they're now coming head to head and therefore you have the gap and the time to do it let's do something now the problem is if you see across europe at present you know the, the people like solaris and things who've been trying to provide those services into those retail verticals it's actually quite difficult to find the additional revenue. Conceptually, it all seems like a good idea, but you know, but who pays for it all? Lots of financial institutions can provide rails. All those services are all those models are being created in order to keep the costs down for, for the retailer. Nothing actually gives real added value to the customer. And, and the problem is, is that, you know, the card schemes are actually, you know, you can load your card on a service and those acquiring systems all work. The fact that you can integrate banking as a service into a vertical or whatever, you know, it, the only added value is that somebody has to save money. And that's quite difficult. And you find in those relationships, Unless somebody saves some money somewhere, 
they're not going to be successful. So although there's a lot of activity and a lot of capability in that space, I see there's been much more potential and money to be saved and value to be delivered in really tackling the billions and billions of cost that are sitting in the major players. Exactly. And I think that is where I think that is where the revenue streams are going to come from. It's probably not unexpected that Anne's advice for others is as unconventional as the rest of her startup story. To date, Starling is the only bank in British history founded by a woman in a country where women are only allowed to open their bank accounts beginning in 1975. And 40% of Starling's leadership team is female, an unconventional statistic in the banking world. Somebody asked me, you know, yesterday, you know, who's your mentor and who do you discuss things with? I've never had a mentor. And I said, well, why not? Well, if I'd gone to somebody as a 54-year-old woman who'd spent her whole career in banking tech and said, I'm going to start a tech company and a bank and do all of this. Well, you know, people will say, no, you're mad. Don't do it. When I said, I'm going to write a book about my experiences and I'm going to talk about my meeting with Michael Dell. I'm going to talk about the whole experience and, and be honest about what happened. They said, no, you can't do that. It's too much of a risk. And I did it and it was serialized in the Sunday Times. So if you try hard enough and you're brave enough and you're audacious enough, I think you can pull things off. So the next target is, you know, I'd like to be the organization that powers the world's biggest banks on a SaaS basis. Nobody's ever done it. I think it can work. And I'm already working with people that's trying to make it happen. Throughout her own personal journey, Anne Bowden found success through what seems to be daring innovation and fearless curiosity. Similarly, her creation, Starling Bank, has proven itself a formidable force and a disruptor in the UK banking space. We, along with many of you, have questions yet to be answered about Starling's future. When will they go public? Will they be able to continue challenging incumbent banks? We did ask Anne about whether Starling will hold an IPO, but she said they're in no hurry to do so given their current funding, but eventually they would do something. In announcing her decision to step down in May, Anne said she decided that Starling's current position as an established bank put her dual roles of CEO and large shareholder in conflict, and that she'd chosen to focus on her role as a shareholder. On behalf of McKinsey's banking and securities practice, thanks for listening to Talking Banking Matters today. We've got a series of conversations planned, so we'll look forward to you retaking your front row seat to listen in on more industry leaders from the world of fintech, banking, and digital talk about their work shaping the future of this industry. For now, wherever you are today, thanks again for listening.